0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's business soup. I'm your host, John DeBauwes. Brent Wilsey will be joining us once again from the Wilsey Asset Management, one of the leaders in the San Diego County for financial planning. We're going to be talking about, as the employer, your liability and your 401ks, as well as what kind of contributions and such should you be doing to your 401k, Also the impact of the retail sectors and the bankruptcies that we are seeing of these big box companies. We're gonna be talking about that as well as the alligator in the pond, the pandemic with its $8 trillion, 10 year impact on our U.S. economy. That and more with Brent Wilsey right here on Business Soup, where business comes for business. Brent, welcome back to this serving of Business Soup. Well, John, thanks for having me. Great to be back. I'm looking forward to having you as a regular visitor on this program. You're all over the media with your radio, TV, and podcast. And recently, you've been talking about the timely events on all of these, about the impact of this pandemic on our U.S. economy. They're projecting that it's going to be not $8 trillion, but seven point nine. How did they ever come up with that number, and how long it's going to be impacting this economy?
1: Well, John, they come up with that. They look at many different factors. They're going to look at the cost of the debt. They're going to look at productivity being down. They're going to look at the bankruptcies. They're going to look at all these different things. You know, businesses folding. Um, that's what they're looking at. And again, this is the actual inflation-adjusted number. If you don't adjust for inflation, it's 15.7 trillion over the next 10 years. So. It is a big amount. And, and again, it's not exact amount. I mean, you're not going to look 10 years. Yep, it was exactly $7.9 trillion, but it, it may be $7 trillion. It could be 9000000000000 trillion. They're, they're just trying to show people and understand what this cost us. And again, you're now hearing that this was a mistake to shut down for as long as we did. So I think they're trying to project this out so they know that, no, we're not going to shut down again. Because you imagine we shut down again for another two, three months. Now you're not talking 7900000000000 trillion, you're now going to talk about $15.8 trillion. not anticipated for inflation, now you're talking about 30 trillion. So the numbers get higher, and it does include many factors, again, cost of the debt, cost of lack of productivity from employees, unemployment, bankruptcy, so many different things, and that's what they're projecting out. It's not an exact number, but it gives you a good ballpark figure saying, wow, this pandemic cost us, we'll make it easy, about $8 trillion. How's that?
0: Well, that makes it less suspicious than 7.9 in my book. Basically, we're looking over an, a 10-year projected a downturn or a recovery of nearly $8 trillion. That's two presidential terms. Anything can happen if we switch administrations or keep the one we've got. Who knows what could happen? It's just hard for me to fathom where the entire U.S. economy is going to be in 10 years when I'm still working on my three- and five-year plan for my business.
1: Five months from now, we could have a new president, and that could change things dramatically. And I saw restaurants, uh, the high I've seen was 80% of restaurants could go into bankruptcy. I don't think they'll be that high. And they're talking about smaller uh, restaurants. I think it's maybe 25 to maybe 40%. But again, if you get a president in there that is not pro-business and brings back regulations and starts taxing them, and I kind of get off tangent a little bit, but if you raise the capital gains tax and the corporate tax, that's going to hurt even more. So you got to be careful uh, what you do here.
0: Well, you can't be taxing those people who have the money for very long before they run out of money. I don't care if it's red, white, or blue that they stand on. As long as it's good for small business, it's good for everybody, is my position.
1: And I'm going to do this quote. I hope I get it right because uh, what the guy said, which really made a lot of sense, is you can never make poor people rich by making rich people poor. That's just not going to work. You've got to do it for everybody so everyone participates. You, you can't take from the rich and give to the poor because then the rich just say, you know what, I'm not going to do it anymore and I'm, I'm done. So,
0: And what I've noticed in a lot of the political rhetoric is tax those evil corporations. And so many people think that those evil corporations are just the big oil companies and the utility companies and the, the huge people that are out there. But what they fail to realize is that you, I, all these restaurants, we're corporations as well. And we all take advantage of the same corporate tax benefits that the Exxon oils, the big companies have been demonized over investment credits as being giveaways to these companies by those who say corporations
1: are evil. You know, John, that's so funny that uh, you bring it up because people think, oh, big corporations are evil. And they're really not. When you step back, I just saw uh, today, I think it was a Ford Foundation. They're going to put away $1 billion because right now charities are not getting money because they can't do fundraisers. They don't realize how much corporations sponsor events and give to charities and so forth. They, they do yeah. a lot of that. And the other thing too, if we go back, we had corporations leaving the U.S. to go to places like Ireland because they were paying 35% corporate tax here and about, I think it was a 12% in Ireland. Well, a corporation has an obligation to do its best for their their shareholders. That's their legal obligation. So they had to do that. Now, if we go back to the same thing, we make it difficult for corporations. We're going to tax them more. Well, they're going to leave the country again and go to another country, which they have the right to do. We can't force them to stay here. We are a free country. Well, that hurts everybody. So we need to understand our corporations do a lot of good things. Maybe they make more money. Maybe the CEOs get paid more than they should. But I, I have made that argument as well. Just keep in mind that a corporation may have 100,000 employees, maybe more. And if that CEO makes a bad decision, everybody loses their job. So is that CEO worth you know, $5, know 10000000 million a year? I don't know. Maybe he is because he has so much responsibility for the economy and many times 100,000 employees.
0: Well, I am hoping for that day in my company. <laughs> I'm not there yet, but we're working on it as a team. We're talking with Brent Wilsey from the Wilsey Asset Management. All the information and links that you need for successful investment strategies, well, Brent's email and or his website and everything will be right there with the transcripts at BizSoup, the one source for business. As an employer, I oftentimes will use 401ks and retirement and contributions as a stimulus to get employees into my operation. With the pandemic, what has been the impact in the 401ks to the employer and employees as a result
1: of this pandemic? Well, John, unfortunately, uh, many 401ks have gone down in value. Or what is even worse sometimes people just in the money market earning right now maybe 0.1, 0.2% because no one is guiding that. Now, there is a liability for the employer, and and we do at our firm, Wealthy Asset Management, we actually do 401ks for businesses, and a lot of employers don't realize that they are responsible. If their employee did lose a lot of money, or even I think it was Disney many years ago got in trouble because too many people had money in the money market, they weren't guided to do more investing, the employer has to pay a fine. Now, there is a way around that because many times when people do the 401ks, they go through a brokerage firm, which has that suitability requirement. But if you go through an investment advisory firm like ours, we take that liability off of the employer and we absorb it because we do everything we can to educate the employees, help them through things and so forth. So sometimes employers could be sued because a employee lost a lot of money in their 401k. And I've seen this too, John, where many times we'll go home and we'll talk to them. When's the last time you heard from your current person on the 401k, your current advisor? Uh, I think it was here five years ago. That's a big liability there because one the employer should have them out there. And I will tell you, we have a couple of employers that we every six months, we say we're going to come out there. And they say, oh, we're, we're too busy right now. We say, well, remember, you have this obligation. We're trying to help you fulfill that. So don't push it off too long. So you got to be careful. It's a shame, but it's also not a shame because this is people's retirement we're talking about. You need to bring in a good financial advisor to run that 401k that takes a liability off the shoulders of the employer
0: that's just what I need is another reason to sue me
1: <laughs> there's enough in the minute here's one more
0: <laughs> yes my father once said it was easier to make it than it is to keep it because once you get it everybody wants to take it
1: and, and again you can actually see it and write it I mean we've looked at documents and we will we'll show the employers like yeah you're fully responsible for this and the employers are shocked uh, but again with our, our firm and we take off that liability for the employer and we absorb it all
0: Brent Wilsey from Wilsey Asset Manager. We're learning something new about his firm and the rules and regulations with the tips, tools, and techniques. What about contributions? Is that still a good plan for me as an employer to do contributions? And if so, how much do I contribute to my employees' retirement?
1: Our firm also has a 401k for employees. And you don't have to do it, but it's a nice thing to do. I mean, we, we, we want to take care of our employees, as I'm sure you do as well, John. You want to make it so that when they hit age you know, 65, they can have a decent retirement. You can do a company match. We'll do maybe 50% up to 4% or something, which can help a lot. There's different rules you can use. So it's a benefit that an employer can give to their employees. I do recommend it. And even too, when you look at it, maybe they don't get quite the big pay raise that they wanted. You say, oh, my 401k is doing great, but I'm you know 45 years old. I, I got 20 years before I retire. You've got to think longer term in it. The one thing I tell people when you talk about 401ks is when I talk to people, and actually, I'm going to be 65 next year, and I think about it, is you don't realize how fast you got to be age 65. It seems like just yesterday I was 25. Isn't that the truth? It is. And as an employer, you can help that employee so they do have a good retirement, and also to not be a burden on society. I mean, that's something else. I mean, you, you can be 65 or 70, you're going to be a burden on society because you didn't take care of yourself. So it's a A joint thing that as a good employer, the right thing to do to help out your employees.
0: I've always liked that as an employee retention too. Mm -hmm. And there are tax benefits to the employer as well by contributing to a 401k. It's
1: a win-win for everybody. Unfortunately, it's one of those long-term benefits you don't realize until you're probably in your 50s where like, wow, I'm glad I got this nice 401k. And actually our office, we have um, employees that have been in their 20s. They put away, we match that. Their 401k, it's starting to build. And we all know about the benefits of long-term compounding. Even if you're 25 years old, please start putting your 401k at least up to what the company match is going to be. Great thing to do.
0: I didn't have that strategy as a rodeo cowboy. That was the furthest thing from my mind. And, <laughs> and it wasn't until I met guys like you that knew those big words like diversification and investment that my lifestyle of bars, horses, and women was not a long-term strategy.
1: It was fun, but it won't help. the retirement
0: <laughs> Talking with Brent Wilsey from the Wilsey Asset Management. Brent, I want to ask you about the retail sectors and the bankruptcies that we're seeing. We are seeing some huge brick-and-mortar companies going into bankruptcy, shutting down stores. And I'm looking at following the money, as I always do. Is this a strategy that is going to get them in front of the judge that will allow them to reduce their debt, perhaps renegotiate their long-term leases and come out a leaner, meaner retail as well as online retailing outsource? Is this a strategy or are they actually just going to leave the scene?
1: I don't think it's a strategy, John, because a lot of retailers, when we look at their balance sheet, they have billions of dollars of debt. We can pull out the JCPenney, which on JCPenney for years I said, this company is going to someday file bankruptcy. Well, this is what it takes to have a pandemic or a recession that just pushes that over the edge. So I don't see any company that is really doing this as a strategy. The retailers, they run a very thin margin. They are having a difficult time. Now, what can happen, though, you're correct, is that they can file bankruptcy, wipe out a lot of that debt, wipe out a lot of the contracts and so forth, and then start fresh under the same name. General Motors did that. Macy's has done it before. It does happen. Is it an actual strategy? I I don't think it's a strategy. It's what sometimes a business must do to survive. And uh, that's why we're so careful when we do our investing to make sure that the company has a clean balance sheet. What's worrisome for me is Hertz' has filed for bankruptcy about nineteen billion dollars in debt. Well now a lot of these young traders on Robin Hood, they think, oh, this is a great opportunity. They're buying it like crazy. It pushed the stock price back up. And what Hertz is saying, well, gee, let's float an equity of a one billion dollars that that we can get some money here. Well, again, the key word is nineteen billion debt. You only get one billion dollars. All those people that buy that stock for that one billion dollars will probably lose everything as the company does reconstruct itself and uh, Wipe it out. So, I guess I'm trying to tell the young creators here, the young investors, to beware because you don't understand how bankruptcy works. And the judge, I guess, told Hertz, like, yeah, it looks like you can do that if you want to.
0: Interesting. So, we're not going to see the Macy's come out of this bankruptcy leaner, meaner. We're going to just see them as they're closing stores. They're just going to disappear from the scene.
1: I haven't looked at Macy's recently. I know we looked at them over the last two years or so. We, we saw they had a lot of debt. I forget how many billions of dollars that they had. Over some time, they've paid that down. I've not looked at them recently. So I think the balance sheet got stronger. It's probably worse now. I mean, and again, you close the store down. They've done everything they can with the online and curb pickup and so forth. But you close the store and your, your sales are hurt by 50, 60, 70%. It's going to be very hard to survive two to three weeks, let alone two to three months. So it may survive. I, I'm not sure. I'm not seeing the numbers lately. But it could be one that I know the stock, I think the last time I saw it, traded around $7 a share. They will close stores. I mean, what they're trying to do is say what stores are most productive, what stores are losing stores. And they will close those losing stores because they will try to, as a business, they've got to be lean and mean, so to speak, and, and close what's not producing for them.
0: Moving on to the manufacturing, and we touched a little bit about China and the impact of losing all of these workers and the responsibility that senior management has in these publicly traded companies, and they would move to other countries, whether it be Ireland or in many cases to China. We're at a literally a trade war with China, and I'm hearing more companies starting to come back to the United States. Each one of them that I've spoken to said it's going to cost more money, so we're going to see if the American citizens, people of the U.S. are willing to pay that extra money to have the manufacturing come back here. Is this going to be a short term or do you see the lack of trust in China businesses coming back here and leaving China in the
1: dust? I think it's a long term effect. I think China has really made it very difficult for the United States to trust us. It's not going to be six months or a year. I think it's a uh, almost a lifetime thing to where China has changed and we just don't feel comfortable with them. I think we'd rather pay a little bit more money to have the products made here. Uh, especially certain products like, I know, drugs and toothpaste and stuff like that. It's okay if you have maybe a product that if it breaks, it's like you're not happy with it but it's not going to hurt you. But gosh, if you're not doing the drugs right or toothpaste, these other things, I think actually now I think about it, I I think years ago there was a problem with toothpaste coming from China. I think they had something in it.
0: Well, dog food as well. And you don't want to poison our dogs here. They're more revered oftentimes than our kids.
1: (laughs) You're right. But what else happened? I can see this, that this could be a change over, and again, depending who gets elected, this could be a change over the next few years to where maybe there's less retail jobs because more people are going online. But maybe there's more manufacturing jobs because we did move things over here. And and it's not as bad as we think because just think about the transportation costs, the currency fluctuation. So maybe you pay a little bit more, maybe not, because maybe it is actually cheaper because we're more efficient here than maybe China is to produce that widget here in the U.S. And the other thing that could be changing uh, to John is that and I'm waiting for this is our infrastructure. Is another thing that's falling apart in the United States here. It's a, a D from the civil engineers. We need to put $1 trillion into our infrastructure, which is going to help the economy. It's going to have a lot more jobs. Those people have lost their jobs, maybe in the restaurants or in the retail stores, which those are higher paying jobs to actually build something in our country as opposed to everybody sitting at home playing video games. And uh, what else?
0: Well, here on Business Soup, we look at the opportunities, the spokes in the wheel, as I call them, to... If you're in an industry, say the transportation industry, and you see something that technology can improve it, can you put that spoke in the wheel and make it work? How do you feel about the 5G and the autonomous vehicles and drones that we're going to be seeing rolling out as 5G gets more prolific around this country?
1: Well, John, I got to say it it does scare me, but anything new would change does scare us. And it's just human nature. But It is coming. It's not going to disappear. We're not going back to the old ways. And big change like 5G and autonomous driving and so forth is scary, but it will come. And that's why in our portfolio we do hold one company that's kind of what what I call the picks and shovels of 5G. It is coming. There are going to be problems with it. I'm sure there's going to be some problems, but it's going to happen. Things will change. The only thing that stays the same is change.
0: Well, we're seeing some of this technology implemented in other countries like China. And I know people who are working feverishly on developing the autonomous air taxi, which personally, I have a little problem stepping into a flying object that has
1: no pilot. Kind of like the Jetsons, well, back when they had their <laughs> flying, they flew back in the Jetsons. That's right. And only you and I may know that because it was so long ago.
0: <laughs> uh, now we're dating ourselves here. <laughs> yes.
1: yeah? uh, our side, we look at, can we get something reasonable or how are we going to invest in that? But for the consumer, it's just, it's going to change. And if you look, even what, 15, 20 years ago, remember what cell phones looked like and what they could and couldn't do?
0: Oh, I used to carry one the size and weight of a car battery.
1: Yeah, yeah, they called it the brick. Yes. And that's what we're going to look ahead. You look ahead 10, 15 years, you're going back at 2020, like, oh my gosh, I was so... Low back banner. I mean, that was so crazy how they couldn't do this and that. And it is kind of frightening because everything is going to go through the internet and everything will be technology wise. And that does open the room for hacking and other problems as well. I mean, what if someone hacks these systems of these autonomous vehicles? I mean, that could be a nightmare. So a lot of caution we have to do, but it is coming. Uh, no doubt about that.
0: It is coming. And I always see these emerging technologies as opportunities. You don't have to invent it. Just look how it will work for you. And perhaps someone in this audience could be the next 5G billionaire by coming up with a way in which to implement the tools that technology has spent billions to develop and deploy. Technology empowers you to make decisions that will make things easier and make money at it. You can be successful as I was in spite of myself.
1: Right, and also hopefully more efficient so that we can be more productive. Yes. That's what I'm looking forward to.
0: Do you see that the car industry, obviously it's been impacted because it was considered a non-essential. Is it going to come back with a roar or has the way in which we're buying vehicles been changed permanently from the big five acre car lots to the online home delivery?
1: You know, it's funny because we now have, and I think the company's called Broom. I think it's B-R-O-O-M. Yes. uh, It's a car company where you can order the car online. They will send it to you. You have seven days to test it out. If you don't like it, they return it. I, I don't know what the return policy is, but that could be something that changes because I was thinking that may not be a bad way to get a car. On the other side, I do like to get in and test drive the car, see what I like. You may have these big car lots reduced down to where it's just of a place where you go and kind of try out the cars, then you order that. So another thing that is changing, and I do know right now on the manufacturing of cars, they are having difficulties because they can't get enough workers to manufacture the cars because the demand is very high. Sales right now are actually doing pretty well. The sales came in about two weeks ago at 12.2 million units. Now, this is on a seasonally adjusted annualized basis. Now, that was down 29% year over year but the forecast was for only 11.1 million units, So that's a pretty good thing that we're still doing well on the cars. The holdup is we can't get the cars manufactured fast enough for people to get to buy those cars.
0: Interesting. Boy, they missed that projection. Yeah. What about the type of vehicles? Are we seeing more of an electric vehicle? And if so, is it going to be the result
1: of the incentives, the tax credits? I think we will see people more practical. They want a car that's efficient and gets them from here to here. Uh, you, you are gonna see more companies go that direction. Actually, General Motors has a very good electric autonomous division called Cruise that is way ahead of everybody else, but because it's part of GM, it doesn't get the notoriety that, that a Tesla does. But the Ford just also started one not too long ago as well. So that is also what's changing is that you will see cars down the road uh, driving themselves and trucks, and I was just thinking about that. It's very funny because you're going be driving down the road on the freeway and you're gonna look over and see this truck carrying 200 tons maybe of of products or so forth and no one in the driver's seat. A little bit scary when you think about that.
0: There's a lot of kinetic energy behind that. Yes. We're talking with Brent Wilsey from Wilsey Asset Management. And Brent, you and I could go on forever between cars and horses. We could bore everybody. (laughs) Brent, I can't thank you enough for coming on Business Soup once again. And we look forward to having you on a regular basis. Brent Wilsey, folks, from the Wilsey Asset Management, a local advisory in the financial world right here in the San Diego area. Brent, thanks again for being on this serving of Business Soup.
1: John, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John DebaVois, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business.
1: This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC.